Hi, I'm Marcus Brotman. And I'm Sean Lyons. And we're the host of the Pingree Politics Podcast. I don't know about you, but I've had a fantastic summer, and I'm glad to be back in business. As always, the views expressed on this show are that of the speaker and are not endorsed by the Pingree School. We hope to build a community that is dedicated to civil discourse through debates and discussions with members of the Pingree community. So let's get into it. With that being said, Yom Kippur is right around the corner, and I can think of no better person to talk to than Rabbi Doug Sagal of the B'nai Israel congregation in Rumson. Rabbi Sagal was head rabbi at Temple Emmanuel in Westfield for as long as I've been alive. In fact, I've known him since birth. Rabbi Sagal, thank you for coming on to the show. Marcus, it's a pleasure. Yeah. Um, so give us some context. Uh, as a rabbi, which subjects within religious studies are you particularly involved with? So I have spent most of my time as a rabbi studying the Hebrew Bible and the ancient rabbinic commentaries, which are called uh, the Talmud. So I've spent a lot of years studying Bible and Talmud, but I also went to a Christian rabbinical school, Yale Divinity School. So I spent a lot of time studying Christianity and uh, the New Testament and Christian theologians as well. Um, so I'm really fortunate to have had such a broad education. On that note, uh, what is the historical, uh, historical importance of Yom Kippur to the Jewish people? Okay, so that's actually a great question. Uh, Yom Kippur shows up in the Hebrew Bible. Um, there is a commandment to observe the 10th day of the Hebrew month that's called Tishrei, which will be coming up in about uh, 12 days. And it is a day, according to the Bible, that the people of Israel will have atonement made for them, that their sins will be wiped clean. Um, it's a very elaborate story in the Hebrew Bible. It has to do, there were uh, sacrifices that were offered, and it does appear that um, there is also the idea that people were expected to fast that day as a sign of penitence. In the year 70 AD, the temple uh, was destroyed by the Romans, the temple in Jerusalem. So all sacrifices stopped. There was no more sacrificial service. And so Yom Kippur became much more of a spiritual day, uh, a day devoted to spiritual contemplation a day devoted to reflecting on the lives that we've lived and the life that we want to live, and quite frankly, reflecting on the sins that we've committed and how we can atone for those sins. And that's been Yom Kippur for the last 2,000 years. Yeah, actually, I have a I have an additional question just related to that, actually. Um I went to a Catholic school and obviously, you know, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with the, the whole premise of, you know, like, I guess, redemption from sins, whether it goes to 
Jesus, you know, dying on the cross for the sins of people, but or uh, the um, or confession um, that transfer like of the Jewish tradition of Yom Kippur into Christianity. Like, like okay. I guess how much so does actually, that influence? Sean, I guess in th- your mind, at least, a, like present day Christian. Question. I'll be perfectly honest with you, because both Yom Kippur, the way it's observed today, and the way Christianity evolved come out of the exact same problem. They're just two different solutions to the same problem. So let's go back. Before the year 70 AD, how would you atone for your sins? How would you get forgiven? Well, it was really not so hard. You would go to the temple in Jerusalem. You would offer up sacrifices. And that was how you kind of got got back in with God, right? Mm-hmm. If you were, if if you had this problem that you had done something that had kind of removed you from God, how did you get back to God? Well, it wasn't so hard. You offered sacrifices. Well, in the year 70, the temple is destroyed. By the way, something foretold by Jesus in the New Testament. Yeah. So Christianity and Judaism evolve two different solutions to the problem. How do you get back good with God? You know, people say, you know, we good. Well, how do you get back good with God? So Christianity and Judaism came up with two different answers. For Christians, Jesus becomes the final sacrifice, right? That's why we refer to Jesus as the Lamb of God, because Jesus is the final sacrifice. And if you believe in Jesus, then Jesus will take on the burden of your sins, and your sins will be forgiven through God's grace. Judaism came up with a different solution. Judaism came up with the idea of prayer and Uh, good deeds, and um, repentance for one's sins. But both Judaism and Christianity emerge out of the same historical, political, I know this is somewhat of a political show, political event, and that is the destruction of the temple by the Romans and the inability of people to atone through animal sacrifice. Christianity comes up with the idea of Jesus as the intermediary between humanity and God. Judaism comes up with the idea of prayer, repentance, and good deeds. And Yom Kippur is the day, the supreme day, where we devote all our attention to those things. Nice. Yeah, and fascinating. Yeah, so Sean, your your question is 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 right on target because Judaism and Christianity basically both emerge as religions out of the Old Testament, out of the yeah. Hebrew Bible, right? They're both religions, but they both develop a little differently. But at basis, the fact of the matter is Judaism and Christianity are both responding to the same historical and political event. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it is to cool. Conti- yeah, to continue with that historical theme, say Jews have been have been persecuted throughout history. Do you, mm-hmm. has Yom Kippur specifically ever been a like a focal point? Like, oh, they're going off to be with themselves. Yes, 
Um, Jews, it's very interesting you, you raise that. Um, so again, Yom Kippur is a, day, is a completely spiritual day devoted to um, spiritual contemplation, repentance, and I'll talk a little bit about rep- what repentance means for us, um, prayer and acts of loving kindness, right? So that's what Yom Kippur is devoted to. The central prayer of, it begins Yom Kippur is a prayer called Kol Nidre, which means all vows. And basically you say to God, any promise I made to you, God, to you, God, that I couldn't keep, please forgive me for, right? That prayer is probably 1,200 years old. During the Middle Ages and later, Jews were accused of being untrustworthy because they had this prayer that somehow eliminated promises. Well, what the persecuting communities didn't understand was these were promises only made to God. Promises made to other people have to be fulfilled. So Jews were mistreated or treated with suspicion and the scene is untrustworthy because of this Kol Nidre prayer. But in fact, the prayer was only about between Jews and God. There's another story, which may or may not be true, that the Kol Nidre prayer was a particularly beloved prayer of the hidden Jews of Spain. Remember that um, after the Reconquista, this is a historical event again, the reconquest of Spain by uh, the Christians over the Muslims, Jews were expelled. And any Jews who remained had to become secret Christians, known as Muranos. If you were caught, you were killed. So Jews apparently would gather secretly on the eve of Yom Kippur to pray this prayer, Kol Nidre, to ask God for forgiveness for not keeping their vow to remain Jewish. So yes, it is associated with persecution. It's definitely uh, a, a an important holiday, one of the most important. So how do you personally observe Yom Kippur? So for me, I mean, uh, I, I observe it very traditionally. Um, I fast for 24 hours. That is a complete fast, both of food and water. There's no food or water for 24 hours. My day is spent entirely in prayer in the synagogue. And um, there is, you know, I take seriously the commandment to repent of my sins. Now, again, I want to get back to this. If, according to tradition, if you committed a sin against God, if you made a promise to God and you broke it, if you go to a synagogue on Yom Kippur and you fast and you pray, God forgives you. But if you did something against a fellow human being, Yom Kippur does nothing. According to the Jewish tradition, you have to go to that person. You have to, you have to ask forgiveness for your sins. You have to repair the damage that you've done. And you have to vow never to do something like that to that person ever again. Yom Kippur doesn't work for sins you commit against other human beings. 
only for sins you commit against God. It's a, pow- a powerful meaning, no doubt. Yeah. You be, in other words, you don't get forgiven if I if I have hurt you, Marcus, in some way, or you, Sean. I don't get forgiven by Yom Kippur. I have to actually go to you, acknowledge what I've done to you, make reparations if that's possible, and never do it again. That's what's required of me as a Jewish person. Yeah, it's it's actually interesting. I mean, this is like not one of the questions that we have like listed, but it actually just made me think the um, during the Great Awakening in the United States, there's this great emphasis on this like personal relationship with God. And funny enough, I think Yom Kippur, at least with my limited understanding of it, seems like a very personal relationship with God that maybe wasn't so much the case with Christianity prior to something like the Great Awakening. But um, no, I think by the way, there are. Um uh, there have been scholarly studies. Um, <laughs> I was an American history major in college. There was a, a, There have been scholarly studies between the Great Awakening that took place in the United States, and by the way, other parts of the world, um, and the development of certain trends in Judaism, such as the Hasidic movement, coincided with the Great Awakening in the United States, which is fascinating. Um, but to get back to your point, Yom Kippur is the only purely spiritual holiday we have. Every other holiday has certain associations with the, the agricultural calendar, with historical events. Yom Kippur is entirely about your relationship between you and God and other human beings. Do you know much about the Yom Kippur War? Sure, of course. 1973. That. I think the Yom Kippur War, I, I mean, I certainly remember that day. I remember, even though I was in 1973, I was younger than you guys. Um, I remember the fact that uh, people were leaving the synagogue that day to go listen to their radios. Um, you know, the the problem is, is that after 67, Israelis felt with some justification that they were kind of invincible. And a lot of Jewish people felt that too. The Yom Kippur War shattered that feeling of invincibility. And um, it was psychologically an enormous trauma to uh, Israelis and to Jews around the world. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, it eventually led to Golda Meir um, kind of leaving office a broken person because, you know, I believe she was prime minister during the Yom Kippur War. And, uh, you know, this shook everyone. Has the war influenced the holiday in uh, any notable way? Interesting. Um, not really. The only way that I know that it has influenced the holiday is... Um, there was a very uh, uh, famous song that was written about the Yom Kippur War. Israelis tend to write songs after their wars or during their wars, similar to what we used to do in the 60s. We don't do it anymore, but similarly to what happened in America during the 60s. And there was a very, very famous song written lamenting the loss of life in the 73 war, the tune to that song is sometimes sung in Israeli synagogues on Yom Kippur. In fact, we're going to be doing it in my synagogue. 
that's the only influence I know. Are there any lessons from Yom Kippur? from the Yom Kippur holiday, which you feel are especially poignant in the modern day? Well, yes, I tend to, uh, and this is a little controversial and maybe pushing the envelope, but um, I, I believe that for us as a nation, the United States, we have our own sins to deal with including the original sin of slavery and the treatment of African-Americans. And I would argue, and I've argued this to my congregation in recent weeks, um, that we as a nation need to repent and make repair and restitution for the original sin of slavery and our continued uh, uh, um, treatment of people of African-American descent. So. I absolutely believe that Yom Kippur has something to teach us as a nation as a whole. I understand that that's a little controversial and not everybody would agree, but I believe it very strongly. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's incredibly, and again, talking about my Catholic background, I'm, I'm no longer Catholic. I just attended a Catholic school, but I, I do, I can't help but think back to the religious celebrations that I was like, you know, involved in and how it like it ties into like something as old as like 2000 years that religion is still able to make some commentary about like modern political discourse. So it's, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think just again, with my understanding of Yom Kippur, it definitely seems like it could tie into something like that. I mean, I, I, in 1863, and you guys are interested in the history, in 1863, Abraham Lincoln, and this was when the Civil War was not going well. Yeah. In 1863, Lincoln declared a national day of repentance, uh, a day of prayer for the United States. And um, I, I think we're going to need something like that again. If, if Lincoln could have done that in 1863, um, because Lincoln believed that the Civil War was in some way God's punishment for the sin of slavery. And um, I believe that we as a nation, until we acknowledge the sin that we committed, until we um, make systemic changes in our society, um, we are not going to heal from this. And so, yes, I think we need a national Yom Kippur. That's my view. Uh, Rabbi Segal, uh, I have a quick follow-up question regarding sure. the um, the topic of reparations. Do sure. you have a specific idea about what uh, you imagine reparations should look like? So I, I recently, uh, just last week, I had a program with the head of the NAACP in Red Bank, um, and I asked him that same question. And what he said is reparations for the original sin of slavery doesn't necessarily have to be in the form of money. Reparations can be in changing the, the systemic uh, racial disparities in our country. For example, uh, racial disparities in housing, racial disparities in education, racial disparities in medical care. I think we've seen because of the pandemic that there is a significant racial disparity in who has access to our medical care. So he made the argument, and I tend to agree, that if we can pay attention to these systemic racial disparities, 
in our culture. I mean, look at that. I mean, listen, a wealthy white person who commits a crime often doesn't doesn't even go to prison. A African-American, a person of color who commits even a minor crime um, goes to prison. The jails are filled with people of color. And um, I, I think his point was, we need to change the systemic racism in this country. And if we can do that, that in and of itself is reparation. That could be atonement for the sin of slavery. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree, couldn't agree more. Yeah, I think it's easy to, yeah, like, especially with talking about reparations, you, um, it becomes easy to just be like, oh, let's just throw money at the problem. You know what I mean? Be like, I'll be done with it. Cause that, but that wouldn't really wash, you know, America's sins away of being like, of, you know, the atrocities that were committed. And I, I couldn't agree more that like the fundamental fabric of the society that we live in needs to change. And that, in a certain sense, is the reparations. I mean, the reparations that we most right. That's what this. That's what this uh, person that I interviewed just last week that, uh, from Red Bank said. Um, now, not everybody agrees. I mean, following that broadcast, I got some incredibly vicious hate mail um, from people who, <laughs> to put it mildly, disagreed with that. <laughs> and um, y- y- you know. I- I'm sorry, but this is, I I think all you got to do is open your eyes and look around and see the racial disparities in this country. And until we acknowledge it and begin a process of atonement, uh, kind of a Yom Kippur for America, um, we're not going to solve this problem. So, uh, Rabbi Siegel, I was wondering if you had any opinion um, about how the lessons of Yom Kippur could be applied to the modern day, uh, specifically in the COVID-19 world, which we live in. Well, again, I I would say, just as I said a few moments ago, I think COVID has revealed to us in glaring uh, detail the disparities in our society between how uh, people of Caucasian descent and people of color are treated. Um, so I think COVID has, if, if you didn't realize it before, you certainly realize it now that there are serious racial disparities um, in our country that COVID has laid bare and that kind of the lessons of Yom Kippur can be applied. But I think there's something else too. And, and that is that you know, Yom Kippur is a holiday which says you have to take personal responsibility for your misdeeds. You have to acknowledge your misdeeds and you have to seek to repair. What we are seeing now, particularly in the leadership of our country, is, is an unwillingness to acknowledge any misdeeds, an unwillingness to repair, an unwillingness to try and change. And, you know, the, 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 this is leading us down the path to disaster. And so COVID has certainly shown us the importance, I'm sorry to get political, 
of, of electing people into power who are willing to be introspective, who are willing to change, who are willing to say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. That's the whole point of Yom Kippur, to be able to say, you know what? I'm sorry, I made a mistake and I'm willing to fix it. The fact that we have people in leadership now who are not only are not willing to do that, but continue to double down on their misdeeds flies in the face of everything that Yom Kippur stands for. And by the way, I'm not just referring, I'm referring, there are plenty of Jewish people who are doing this too, who are in high levels of government right now. So, you know, uh, I, we're all in the parade together. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing your opinion on uh, what is a very, can be an incendiary topic uh, for many people. Um, yeah, no, I, I totally feel what you mean with the, the idea that this was like an, a shattering moment in the Jewish community. And especially in recent years, we've seen a big uptick in anti-Semitic hate crimes. Um, wh why do you think that there's been increase in anti-Semitic hate crimes? Well, again, I hate to, to get political, but basically because permission has been given. Um, I'm just going to say it. Our president is a, a, a white supremacist and a racist. He and and an anti-Semite, despite the fact that people jump up and down and say his son-in-law is Jewish. Uh, you can still be anti-Semitic. Um, and he has given permission for the worst elements of our country to emerge out of hiding. And uh, this, this predated uh, Trump, but Trump essentially gave permission. You know, I remember, I, I'm old enough to remember the first George Bush, George Bush the first. Yeah. And I remember George Bush the first gave a speech. I, I remember watching it saying, racism and anti-Semitism are not part of our country. And this is not who we are as Americans. You know, and, and he believed that and he stood up for that. Um, whatever you might think of thought of the, the first George Bush's policies, he he uh, and and even quite frankly, uh, his son, George Bush, the second George W. Bush uh, was very, very clear that um, anti-Muslim sentiment was forbidden. You know, he, he yeah. was very clear about that. And I have to laud him for that. Um this president is a racist and an anti-Semite, and he's given permission. There's just no way around that. Yeah, I think it's you know the issues that you can criticize George Bush on or or whatnot. I do I do remember, and I, I guess I you know I wasn't really like I'm not alive during then, so I don't know how much I can talk about it. But looking back on it and watching the speeches he gave after events like 9/11 and uh, the Iraq War, or I guess during it, that instance. I, I do agree with you that he made it incredibly clear that anti-Muslim sentiment in his eyes was completely unacceptable in our nation. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, George Bo George W. Bush, uh, you know, for all that I disagreed about him yeah. um, and I found that the people around him were awful, um, I think he was basically a decent man who uh, genuinely was appalled by racism and bigotry. I really believe it. Trump is, 
I, I mean, Trump was head of the birther movement. There's just no way around the fact that we have a racist as president, and that gives permission for people to be racist. And I, I just there's just no way around that. You can you can say, you know, I it's funny. I've I, I know people who support President Trump. Um, I have them, you know, in my congregation. Um, I've yet to meet a Trump supporter that didn't that denied that he was racist. What I what I often hear from people who support the president is that they make excuses for his racism. They say, well, you know, and uh, Black Lives Matter is really a radical Marxist group that's funded by George Soros and Antifa. I mean, this is just ridiculous stuff. But no one no one denies that he's a racist. <laughs> I mean, he is. So he's given permission for people to engage in these acts, including anti-Semitism. And the fact of the matter is, and this is a horrible thing to say, but I'll say it, the most religion-based hate crimes are committed against Jews not against any other religious group. There are crimes committed against other religious groups, but the majority of religious-based hate crimes in America are committed against Jews. Yeah, I know it's, yeah, I, to be honest, I wish I was more familiar about the topic of hate crimes in, the, in America, like I guess in, recent years it's i guess i wish it was something i was more familiar with but i i can absolutely sympathize with that like i guess the the horror that a person of you know, in the jewish community must have towards uh the current situation i couldn't agree more but um marcus uh do you have any other questions do we have any other questions listed or do you have anything uh, no. you want to input okay um We're just running through okay cool uh, Oh, yeah. Rabbi Segel, do you have anything that you would like to just talk about that you came in wanting to discuss or? Oh, no, I, I just want to wish everyone, uh, those who celebrate the holidays, a very happy and healthy new year. And to everyone who's had to resume school, um, I know I, I am sure this is nothing that you ever imagine, and particularly those of you who are seniors I have a particular kind of sympathy for because this is not your senior year. This is not the senior year that you ever imagined you'd have. So I wish you guys all the best. And I hope that despite what's going on, you're still able to make it a very um, uh, productive and happy and fulfilling year, despite everything that's happening. Well, yeah. thank you so much. Yeah, yeah thank um, you for coming in. Come, thank you for coming on to talk to us. Um, hopefully, I'll see you for Yom Kippur. Um, my my pleasure. Well, um, I think we're going to wrap it up for today. Thank you so much for coming right. in. Um, thank you for the invitation, guys. <laughs> right. Yeah. Have some happy high holidays. <laughs> All right. Take care, guys. Be well. Thank you, Bye. Rabbi. Bye. 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 Hey guys, thanks for listening. Uh, once again, if you have any questions or you have any ideas for future podcasts, then email me at mbrotman at 2021 at pingry.org or slions2021 at pingry.org. Uh, have a good day.